My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 183 of Legally Clueless. Thanks for rocking with this podcast. If this is your first time listening, audio episodes like this got every single Monday without a fail. And our video series is on and popping. I don't know why I say that. Anyway, (laughs) season three is ongoing on our YouTube channel. So if you head over there, you can catch up with more awesome African stories. Ooh, there's a link to our YouTube channel in the show notes. Another link you'll find in the show notes is to Legally Clueless Africa, which is our home base on the internet. And when you go there, you can listen to the audio podcast, check out our workshops, events, video and tour series. Like, it's pretty awesome. I would head over there and sign up to join our community. So back to this episode, I'm super excited about it. I don't know why my phone is giving out this weird frequency. Let me throw it away. All right, back to this episode. Coming up is a very interesting story by somebody who's responsible for probably like three quarter of the clothes in my closet. We got robbed. I had already set up a shop. So we took up three shops. One space that had fabrics and displayed clients' outfits where they come and do fittings. The other one was um, a room that the tailors were doing everything. The other one was just like a, a place for chilling and appointments and all that. Then I get a phone call from my fundi. He's like, we've been robbed. Everything is gone and they're still sticking stuff away. I wasn't far from the CBD. Drove to work. I found... Uh, leftovers, fabrics and all that just along CBD, the standard street. So we didn't get to access the premises until maybe after five hours the police came. They took other things like fingerprints for evidence and all that. They carried most of our stuff. So by the time I was entering that room, hmm, the room was empty. All three of them. That's probably one of Kenya's top fashion designers, Yvonne, and you're going to hear more of her story a little later in this episode. Trust me, if you are in business, it's a must-listen-to story. Ooh, I'm so excited to share this week's song of the week because uh, the lyrics in this song are a bit too real sometimes. A bit too real sometimes. It's by India Ree, whose music I absolutely love. And the name of the song is Get It Together. There is in the chorus a bit where she sings, You want to heal your body, you have to heal your heart. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Ah. I really like this song because, I mean, when you listen to it, there are bits where you can feel she's talking about um, probably like an intimate relationship that goes wrong. But where I identify with the lyrics, it's almost like calling yourself out. The moments where you're losing it or losing track of what your journey kind of looks like or is going. I know whenever I listen to this song, I always go like, yeah, I really need to get it together. I need to face my life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, check it out. I've put a link to the song in the show notes. In case you're listening on a platform without show notes, just search for Get It Together by India Ree. And yeah, enjoy the song. Another thing that I have really enjoyed and I want you to check out is an episode that made me learn so much more about such a creative Kenyan, my goodness. So I remember a while back coming across these pictures of a miniature human. That's That's the only way I can explain it. A miniature human doing some very Kenyan things. And I was like, what's going on? What is this Photoshop image thing about? And getting very intrigued by it. And I would just see 
very many more following up. And then I got to understand that the content creator behind it is Minnie Cheps. And she is so interesting. I've just finished watching her episode on the Guinness Black Shines Brightest Stories show. First and foremost, random, she's a chicken farmer, (laughs) which I was like, I did not know that. And another interesting fact is that she works with her husband. So he's the one who takes most of the pictures and they work together on it. Another super interesting fact is how she's been able to monetize miniature pictures of herself. Yeah, the pictures are very interesting. Honestly, it's like photoshopping herself smaller and just doing some very interesting things in the pictures. It's creative. It's creativity on a whole new level. I have put a link to her specific episode in the show notes because I really want you to check it out. And just I just love how, especially like the chicken farmer bit, how traditional can sit so comfortably with modern. She's doing all of this content creator thing, which is fairly new and she keeps chickens. And I just think, I don't know, that made me be a bit more connected to her. It was interesting to learn that about her story. So check out her episode. A link to it is in the show notes. But I do hope that you are surrounded by grace and peace. I realized that I have been forgetting to tell you that in the last couple of episodes, but always know that's my my wish for you consistently. I do have a bit of a very exciting update. So as you're listening to this, I'm probably in New York as much as I've pre-recorded it. Well, let me not jinx it. I hope nothing goes on with my flights. (laughs) And then you hear this and I'm stuck in like Dubai. (laughs) It went knock on wood. Where? Okay, so basically we are doing the American leg of our book, our Broken Silence Tour. For those who don't know, I co-authored a book with an amazing Kenyan lady called Lanji, and it documents stories by survivors of sexual violence, which we both are, as well as members of survivors' support systems, so family, those in the medical field, and it's stories from the greater East African region. It's stories um, from pre-colonial times to present day. And yeah, it's a very big deal. <laughs> like it's a very big deal. I'm so excited. Whenever Lanji and I jump on a call about this tour, it's just like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> We're doing an American tour, isn't that crazy? And the book is stocked not only in Kenya, and obviously you can get it on Amazon as well, but it's also stocked in Sierra Leone, where we took it for a conference. And it's just it's just wild and how shocking. Like When you start to walk in your purpose, walk in your passion, things just kind of open up and and work out for the best. Not to say that it's easy. It is far from easy, but like things just fall into place. And that's kind of how you know you're on the right path. And I want to sit in this win. I've gone through this year a heavy season of doubting my power. And one of the things that I am intentionally doing is sitting in my wins. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, when we lose or collect an L, (laughs) we sit there for long You know, we can sit there for even months and we tell ourselves the most horrible things for such a long time. That's super unhealthy, but that's not even where I'm going with this. I'm saying, how about you do the exact same thing for your wins? Sit in it for months. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying I did that and 
really deriving joy and fuel to achieve more from your wins. There's nothing wrong with speaking to yourself in a congratulatory manner instead of like skimming over your wins. I think humility is a great thing and you can sit in your wins and still be humble about it and not cocky or condescending to others. But most of the time what we do is we skim over our wins. And then because we're in this microwave social setting where it's like you achieve one thing and you're already on to the next, you can actually forget how capable you are because of that rhythm. And so I'm intentionally choosing to sit a little bit longer in my wins, appreciate that I did that, and use that fuel to push me to even more wins. So far, so good. I still have imposter syndrome where I'm just like, oh my goodness, people are going to find out that I'm not as good as they think I am, or I don't deserve to be authoring a book. You know, I still have those moments where I, I have those thoughts and I have to kind of like catch myself and just be like, whoa, 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 <laughs> sis, we're not going down that road and that's not true. Moral of the story, if you take only one thing away from this episode, let that one thing be you beginning to sit in your wins. All right, let's jump into 100 African stories. Imagine starting a business, things are going super great, and then thugs steal everything from you. 100 African stories on Legally Clueless, stories from Africa. Hi, my name is Yvonne. I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, my earliest memories of being creative as a child was probably when I was six because I used to watch my mom do this a lot and everything used to happen in, at home. So we used to help her. I used to break her needles. I used to act like I'm working on the machine, but I used to destroy everything. My mom studied fashion and design at Utali Design uh, School of Design. I think from there is when I picked up the whole passion for fashion because she used to make everything for us. We used to wear those African fabrics from way back. Maybe when I was three, six, when we used to go to church during Christmas, that's all we used to wear and she used to make for us everything even uniforms for going to school she used to make for us everything i remember when i was maybe in class four i used to come back at lunchtime help her cut out fabrics fix buttons because i had started learning art and craft when it was still in the syllabus so i used to like help her i would run late I would run late from going back to school because I was helping her fixing buttons, mixing up fabrics, and just making sure that I don't miss out on so many things. So I'd run late, I would be punished because I was helping my mom. Um, at that tender age, I think I it didn't cross my mind that that's what I wanted to do. I was just doing it for fun because I used to watch her. I used to love the noise the machine was making, the old machines. There was no motor at that time. There was no industrial machine, so it was manual. So I just used to love the noise, looking at her, um, stepping on that machine. I used to love seeing the whole mechanism, the, the whole process. So I was just like, I want to be busy like my mom. So whenever she would step aside to just even pick something or go to the washroom, I'm there. I've broken the, the needle. I've spoiled something. I've removed them. There's a rope that you connect to the, the pulley of the machine. So I was just spoiling everything. But at the end of the day, I used to enjoy it. She bought me an outfit 
for Christmas. It was denim on denim. It was a long jacket and I had insisted that I wanted a bolero jacket. So she went to work because she was doing it part-time at some point. She went to work. She came back. She found I had already resized the jacket. I cut it to a bolero. So when she asked me what happened here, I'm like, I cut it. I was designing it. You could see from her face she was tired, but she couldn't punish me because it was not the first time. There was a time I resized her jacket when she wasn't around. And I think I wore that jacket for the longest time. I used to go for castings in that same jacket and people used to love my jacket. The Bolero stuff was in primary when I had finished class eight. I felt like I was a big girl. I no longer want to wear the tutu dresses, the Ngazi dresses, you know those dresses? So I asked her to get me a, a denim on denim outfit. We didn't get a bolero. So I designed my own bolero from what she had bought me and it was brand new. She charged me for that jacket until now. I'm still paying for it every single day. I remember when I was joining Form 1, that time when you're choosing subjects to do and my mom was like, you need to do French, you need to do German to help you because she was now in the hotel industry. So I told her, no, I want to do home science. And we kept pushing, going back and forth, back and forth. And she was like, then do one, at least do French and home science. I was like, no, let home science be my first choice. So I ended up doing French and um, home science. And throughout my high school, I remember I was in the Junior Achievements Club where I did, I successfully did um, my school's beauty pageant. I, the, the girl I was styling, she won the first runners-up and the second runners-up plus the miss of that school or that, um, the winner. I designed her and she won from my designs. So did the second year, like it went on for like three years. I think I started designing when I was in primary. During maths lesson, lunchtime, you're bored and the teacher is just there talking. I would just sketch things under my desk and she would actually pick them from me. I'll do cutouts. You see how people do cutouts for music? I'll do cutouts for designs and just paste on my books. So all my books were being covered in with um, pages, newspaper pages for fashion. So teachers would punish me all the time because I'm covering my book with mag uh, newspapers and magazines instead of the plain brown um, manila paper. Yeah, I would get into trouble because of doing that. But I, I just wanted my book to remind me of fashion and all that, that I had a magazine. But inside, it's a maths book. So it wouldn't get boring. Maths lessons wouldn't get boring. I remember in secondary school, I successfully designed an apron for like half an hour, hand-stitched. I remember I used to help my friends with all that. During these lessons, I'd go to the lab, but i just have my, my uh, needle and thread. I'm always teaching something. And I remember even my NDA exams, Form 4, I finished my stitch work maybe 30 minutes early. So I finished so early, I thought I, was, I had done something wrong. So the teacher was just looking at me, are you done? Yes. I'm like, why is everyone still stitching? I'm done. It was an apron. So I had finished so early. Yeah, because I was so used to making aprons. I would make aprons at home. To date, I still do that for my nannies in the house. But these days, I just revamp them a bit with Ankara. Um, I'm in Form 3. I'm in a chemistry class. And all I can think about is fashion. And my mom was in the hotel industry. So she, she really encouraged me, by the way, because my uncle was also a designer. So she used to bring back these magazines and tell me, this is how, this is what is in right now. This is what you should be making in school. What are you guys being taught? So she was so interested in what I'm doing in school, even though I chose home science over French and German. So I think from there, 
like you get encouraged by your own mom so you get that motivation of doing more exploring more um i leave high school i first looked for a job because moving from point a to b i needed something small i needed maybe just have pocket money and all that because my mom was a single mom we are six in the house so she had to take care of all of us so at some point you just realize you need to help her somehow so i got a job but in between i used to do modeling i started modeling at the age of 19 i continued for some time and then it got to a point where it was no longer paying enough your bills are piling and you're just there still doing modeling and all that so i started selling one to three things uh, dressing up my friends for events um i did a fashion show for my aunt silvia worry when she was opening her branch here in Kenya and in between that I used to be a sales representative at uh, another shop along Mombasa Road at Capital Center. I used to did promos, roundabouts, giving flyers at 5:30 supermarkets, giving out sachets of different products for testing. Yeah, so I've done just about everything to hustle. I like I've hustled a lot here in Nairobi. The fa- my first job as a model I did it at um the Sylvia Wolly fashion show. So I just uh, my aunt called me and told me um your aunt is around and she needs models. So you need to come. Maybe you can just do some one or two things for her then she can see if you, if you are maybe you can work for her as a model on that day. So I went. She liked what I did and that was my first job. Then after that I joined an agency Kinky with Olive Gashara and from there it was just one job after the other. because it now became as a passion I wasn't doing it for money or what because so many times we did different jobs there are some you're paid some you're not paid the event organizer disappears but we just continue because it was just the passion of you're in the industry you're doing what you love the experience you're seeing different designers doing different things and you're you're learning a lot from different designers yeah i was just doing sketches during this whole time because um i had not really gotten a uh, hold of a good machine because my mom was still full time working on her own um designs clients and all that so i would help her once in a while or maybe when she has gone to work i would do one or two things on the machine when she's not around but i was still doing my own sketches during my own time i'm in school i come back from school i do other things there's modeling there's traveling and all that but at the back of my mind i still have my book where i'm doing my all my sketches um i quit my job before i quit modeling the sales uh, at capital center and then i went on because i wanted to go to school i went to nairobi uni i did maths and statistics and pr i studied psychology but there's nothing connected to it well pr is helping me but after that for a while after finishing school i opened a, a small shop I had a partner before so we opened a small shop we set up and we started doing a few pieces and during modeling I remember my first showcase our first showcase we did at um Westgate it was with Pinky she had hired us as models so we told her we also have designs we would like to showcase but we don't have money we have so many clothes <laughs> We've been trying to create different outfits but we don't have the the showcasing fee that they were asking for and she allowed us to do the showcase for free and um from there we used to do modeling and we would come in as designers and as models 
So we would balance, somehow we would balance everything. We did Nairobi Fashion Market, we did Swahili Fashion Week in Dar es Salaam. Even, um, I think my last show as a model, I did it in 2019, Zen Garden Fashion IT. And that's when I said, I got my first child and I stopped doing modeling. I remember it was now getting hard to like balance uh, family time, work. And then you have to do, um, you have to go for training for like um, maybe a week or two before an event. So, so many things came in together. And so I chose to stop modeling because there's so many other young girls coming up. So just give them the, the platform to continue as you do designing because I'm still there. I'm still on the catwalk somehow because I'm designing the clothes and I have to showcase my products. So I have enough time now for my kids and I have enough time to design the clothes. Um, Afro Street Collections was born in 2013. We're turning 10 next year. So it's been a roller coaster. Okay, how we started Afro Street? Um, it was just those times when you do castings maybe in the morning and then you wait for the phone call. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. So this whole time you can't go home. You're just walking around the CBD, just doing nothing. Because I used to go to school in the evening. So I have like six or five hours doing nothing after castings so i spoke to my friend and i told her like what do you think if we start something where we used to like all these clothes that designers used to make but we never used to afford them because you paid five thousand this dress is eight five you take like two jobs to get to afford one dress and maybe sometimes it's 12,000. So I knew how much these fabrics cost because I've been doing this. I've been buying fabrics for my mom. Whenever she would send me, go get me this, go get me cotton and all that. So I just wanted to do it differently than what my mom is doing. We started by just trying with our own outfits, what we were wearing, maybe you're told you need a black dress, you need black tights, a black top, a black blazer, because there are designers who just do jewelry. So they would ask for these outfits. So I told her, what if we start making our own clothes and sell to our friends? We even selling clothes for 1500, 425. As long as you just see someone wearing a nice dress, that's all matters. So during all this time, we started making outfits for our friends, for family. So my mom used to teach us one or two things. She would come to the shop because she used to work at the Intercon and our sh we got a space at the Caxton house just on Standard Street. So that's where we started. Like a small room, no window, nothing. It was just nothing. There's no breathing space or what. You have your machines there. You have your two small fabrics because my mom gave me, finally she gave me her machine and five fabrics that she had in the house so that now you can go and start so after that we continued making one mistake here and there but we'd still correct them she would come and show us one or two things we got one fundi and we started from there and the fundi would guide us all the way because he was older than us he had more experience but we just we had ideas so there was no time for us to sit on the machines we'd go out get, go get this fabric go get this fabric so along the road we had a second tailor because now the order started piling up we started getting more clients we were now more courageous and confident to showcase our products because at first it was just we we're hiding we we're still stitching things at the backstage yeah and that's how afro street was born mm, i remember it was uh, coca-cola world cup during world cup so um we used to do fashion shows then there was um uh, like a mix of fashion and dance and we used to do it at sarkasi so 
we showcased our staff at um, Malindi in Malindi. So when Edu the coach, he recommended us to make outfits for Coca-Cola when the World Cup tour happened to do the uniform. So we're like, huh? Where? How? Our outfits are not that perfect to be considered by Coca-Cola to do this outfit. We were so young. We were paid like 150k to make these uniforms. First of all, the money shocked us. We stayed like <laughs> three days. We're just looking at the money. So they need these outfits. We looked for people to print. And they told us, just be creative. Look for outfits that can fit dancers. And I remember when we were starting, we didn't have so many, like a lot of choices fabric-wise. It was just like one couldn't get stretch fabrics because you need dancers in comfortable fabric but somehow we managed we made the outfits they came out so well and i think from there we knew now we're in serious business it's now time to start rolling get serious and we added machines we bought we added more tailors i got an extra shop to start now like get a different space for clients a different space for fundies and all that well i remember during the um, the fashion show at uh, fab uh, fashion and beauty westgate we went with so many items i don't know who told us to make so many items like that it was a lot we had to take um like two taxis there was no uber there was no so we paid so much money on uber i was just like what if we don't sell True, we didn't sell anything. But my friend who was selling shoes, we were like three. There's someone making shoes, there's someone making handbags and bangles, and then there's us doing the clothing. So she sold so many things. We were like, now since you've made money, you pay for the stand. Because we didn't have money. So by the time we were coming back on Monday to pick the items, I was like, or we just go home and wear these clothes and just forget about this. But on Monday, we started getting phone calls from the expo. Hi, I took a card from your stand. Where is you guys located? Can I get this outfit? I'm like, oh, okay. So these things happen like this. You don't say, actually sell on that day. You market yourself and the money comes in later. That was the first one. Then the second one, we got robbed. I had already set up the shop. This money from Coca-Cola, the rent we were paying was not so much. So we took up three shops. We have one shop for like one space that had fabrics and displayed um, clients' outfits where they come and do fittings. The other one was um, a room that the tailors were doing everything. And then the other, I don't know, the other one was just like a, a place for chilling and appointments and all that. So we knew we've made it. We have settled. We're now making money and everything is just running smoothly. Then I get a phone call from my fundi because we used to work overnight sometimes when there are too many orders. He's like, we've been robbed. Everything is gone and they are still uh, taking stuff away. So by the time I left, I wasn't far from the CBD, drove to work. I found uh, leftovers like fabrics and all that just along CBD. The standard street so we didn't uh, get to access the the premises until maybe after five hours the police came they took other things like fingerprints for evidence and all that they carried most of our stuff for like a, a exhibit that's what they used to call it so by the time i was entering that room i just broke down hmm. The room was empty. All three of them. <sighs> Sorry. <sighs> so yeah, so the rooms, all the three rooms were empty. Like they had 
taken everything and it wasn't just me the whole like it was like 10 shops along the corridors remember how the exhibitions used to be so we took like three at the end so there was nothing left they swept everything i think there was a tassel with the building the owner of the building and all that so everything we had saved everything we had put there and i remember it was a day before my birthday and we were traveling to malindi for a showcase so they didn't there's a suitcase they didn't touch they just opened but they didn't understand because they were like um runway clothes so i don't think they understood what exactly the pieces were all about so they just wiped off because they were breaking the the glasses i think they had blood stains and all that so that's how i got my pieces intact i just went took them to the laundry and cleaned them the whole time i was showcasing in malindi i was just like now what will happen what do i go back to there's nothing left there so my friends came up together and they we got like two machines and i remember one of my friends he's a designer afro moda he told me i have two extra machines at the at my workshop you can bring your fundies they can work from my place as you get yourself together and um, rebuild yourself so when i came from malindi i started looking for a shop because it was like i'm still getting orders that's the thing that helped me but on this other hand you'll find a client who had maybe an outfit of six months ago oh you want i'm so sorry about uh, for everything that happened but how do i get my outfit i'm like okay we started replacing one by one then it got to a point where i'm like i cannot replace clothes like three years ago so we did replace a few but some of the clients were so understanding so they were just like i'll just bring another uh, fabric you make for me a dress and from there we picked up um i took a smaller space now we were back to it was a better a better premises maybe i think somehow i think it happened it was a blessing in disguise because we got a better place safer and um the security security wise everything was amazing so that's how we started we bought three machines we started off again and everything picked up we got more orders than before I think from there we just been climbing up 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 there's always like uh, ups and downs but I don't think anything can surpass what we went through um at the moment I have like um six machines at the shop and uh, I have like four in the house so whenever we get busy I'd still bring in more machines but space is still limiting although I moved to a bigger shop in 2020 but um I still find myself needing more and more space hopefully i will expand soon so it's been like i have six tailors i have like three other people helping me i work a lot with my siblings because we've all been doing the same thing with my mom so there's my brother who's doing accessories and shoes my sisters are always running the shop when i'm not around even when i'm around we help each other so it's just been like that so like the second in command third in command and it's all my sisters it's all my siblings and my mom comes in once in a while to check on us she calls because when she moved to the she moved to our country during covid she still runs her business from there and it's still the same thing it's like a mini afro street in shags just because of this thread and needle juyauzi nashindano i've been able to dress so many people that i always had just had of like people have only seen on the television i used to watch jason derulo for the longest time until i get to i got to dress him at cox studio flavor from nigeria yemi alade our very own sauti soul 
so many politicians given the time i can't mention all of them but so many of them so i'm just like these days i get a phone call i no longer get those chills i no longer get excited but i'm still like i need to pinch myself to wake up because i'm living a dream and i'm so grateful to god because he's gotten me this far i've been able to meet so many people like it's been such an honor to work with different people from different backgrounds and known or unknown it just gives me joy seeing the final results like that's the most the beauty of it all i get to see my work people enjoying my work i would tell any Af young african wanting to do fashion and design number one it's not easy but if it's you're there for the passion you'll definitely make it it takes time it's not an overnight success but um, hold on just be consistent don't give up when things are hard and you'll make it catch more african stories in the next episode of legally clueless that is such a beautiful story by yvonne it's so weird whenever i record stories by people i know i almost have to call myself out because i learn things about them that i didn't know before and i start wondering like okay am i intentional with the conversations i'm having surely because i didn't know that she had survived or her business her and her business had survived being robbed of everything can you imagine how devastating that is and it's just made me understand her more like i didn't even know like this fashion bug flows in the family obviously i've met her sisters at the shop but like her mom i didn't know about that so it's always quite interesting to have people that i know on legally clueless because even i learned so much more about them and i start to understand them a bit better i think her story is a reminder to you to dare. Just dare to bring your dream to fruition. Dare to start pursuing your passion. Dare to live a full life and dare to live your most authentic life, you know? I hope it inspired you in some way to do that. So if you want to share your story as well on this podcast in the show notes, there's a link to our Google form. Just fill it out and I will get back to you. Remember that this podcast plays on Trace FM here in Kenya every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. Just head over to traceradio.co.ke for a link of all the frequencies, a link, a list of all the frequencies. And by the way, Yvonne's story is in season three of our video series. So if you head over to our YouTube channel, you get to see Yvonne. We even got to shoot her sisters. We caught her in action in the store, measuring, teaching her tailors. Like, it was wonderful. Head over to our YouTube channel to watch it. There's a link to it in the show notes. And don't forget to join our community just by going to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate you. And I, I hope your week ahead is just full of grace and full of peace. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.